Hey, moms and dads. This episode is kid-friendly. This episode is kid-friendly. For creatures like me. <laughs> when you're alive, life can be fun. Go to the forest where the shadows do run. They're coming soon. They can hear you. paranormal chicks and this is kid friendly episode two and if you didn't catch the first one just to recap there is no language no anything that's not suitable for kids so sit back and prepare to be spooked okay the first one we're gonna read is from the book scary stories for a fright in the night by s.l clater this one is called the collector's Late one night, a young man named Daniel and his girlfriend Dawn were driving home from a date, discussing the events of the night as they traveled a desolate country road that twist and turned through the outskirts of a small town. Rounding a wide curve, the moonlit landscape cast an ominous aura that filled Daniel with a dreadful sense of unease. Look out! Dawn yelled when a large dark object darted across the road in front of them. Daniel slammed the brakes of his truck, and the vehicle skidded into the shoulder of the road, stopping a few feet shy of a small bridge that spanned a narrow creek. What the heck was that? Dawn lowered her feet from the dash, having instinctively braced herself when Daniel hit the brakes. Daniel pointed at what appeared to be a horse-drawn carriage that had ceased motion just past the bridge, near the entrance of Cemetery Road. Is that a horse and carriage? Don's voice trembled. Where on earth did it come from? Both sides of the road are fenced. I don't know. Daniel stared in bewilderment at the blotted form of a driver, searching for some distinguishable feature, but finding none. He had no explanation. The carriage, enveloped by an eerie mist, then resumed motion and turned onto Cemetery Road. The sound of the horse's hooves striking the pavement echoed as the carriage quickly transitioned into little more than shadows. But a doleful melody drifted in its wake, haunting words sung in a faint but clear voice. We are the collectors, collecting what is due. We are the collectors, our harvest must ensue. The harvest moon has risen, a harbinger of faith, the fullest moon of many. We wait to storm the gate. I don't like this. Dawn's eyes widened with fright. Daniel was baffled by the eerie encounter. I couldn't see his eyes, but I know he was looking right at me, like he knew me. And that song. Let's get out of here, Daniel. This is too creepy. I want to see where he goes. Daniel was overcome by a compelling need to follow the specter. 
down Cemetery Road? Not a chance. Don adamantly refused. We wouldn't have time anyway. It's nearly 11. My curfew, she reminded him. Still, even if we had time, I wouldn't go. There's nothing at the end of that road but graves. You cannot pay me enough to follow whatever that was into the cemetery at night, especially not tonight. Have you forgotten about the total lunar eclipse? It's happening right now. Look, the moon is already partially eclipsed. At that moment, headlights from an approaching vehicle appeared behind them. Daniel watched in the rearview mirror as a red car rolled to a stop alongside his truck. Kathy, he immediately recognized Dawn's sister and lowered his window so the girls could talk. What's wrong? Kathy asked. Did your truck break down? No, the truck's fine, Daniel assured her. Kathy, I'm so glad to see you, Dawn told her sister. You'll never believe what we just saw. It was the strangest thing. You can tell me about it when we get to the house. We only have a few minutes till curfew, so you better hurry home. Kathy started to raise her window. Wait, Daniel stopped her. Dawn needs a ride. What? Dawn's brow furrowed. I can't believe this. I want to do a little investigating. I really want to see where that carriage went. I think you're crazy to follow whoever or whatever that was to the cemetery at night, but I won't attempt to stop you. Dawn got out of the truck. Just be careful. Don't worry, Daniel flashed a smile. I'll call you in a little while when I get home. The moment Don and Kathy drove away, Daniel pulled his truck onto the pavement, crossing the bridge, and made a right turn down Cemetery Road. The entrance of the narrow lane divided by two old oak trees offered scarcely enough width for a vehicle to pass on either side of the sprawling trees. Laden with shadows, once beyond the entrance, the split lane merged into a single-lane roadway bordered by barbed wire fence that enclosed a multi-hundred-acre orange grove. Where are you? Daniel lowered his window, searching for any sign of the mysterious horse and carriage. Soon, catching the faint, hypnotic sound of the specter's haunting tomb as he neared the cemetery gate. Rolling to a stop, he shut off the truck, got out and glanced over the place of the dead that lay blanketed in a coppery, unearthly fluorescence. He glanced up and saw that the eclipse was nearing totality as he eased towards the entrance and daringly entered the cemetery's sacred confines. He stepped past a looming white stone cross that stood the height of a giant just inside the gate and continued along a dirt path that separated the cemetery into two halves of road sections. Lured forth by the haunting tune that grew louder and clearer with each step he took, Daniel knew he would never forget the song's dark and foreboding lyrics. We are the collectors, collecting what is due. We are the collectors, our harvest must ensue. The mighty orb is bleeding, we entered now to reap. The blessed blood is calling, and what we take we keep. Daniel moved deeper and deeper into the cemetery that grew colder and colder with each step he took. He cautiously veered from the path and maneuvered around several headstones, stopping dead in his tracks when he came upon the silhouetted horse and carriage, eerily resting amid a bed of low-lying mist. Quickly ducking out of sight, Daniel took cover behind a large tree to escape detection. Crouched low, his breaths became quick and his heart pounded with such intensity that he feared the specter might hear its desperate drum. 
Although well-concealed in the shadow, he couldn't shake an unnerving suspicion that the specter knew he was there, that the specter was, in fact, waiting for him. The mighty orb is bleeding. Daniel spoke in a hushed whisper, repeating the unsettling lyrics, wondering if the verse referred to the blood moon lunar eclipse that was currently occurring. He glanced upward once again, remembering that the total lunar eclipse was not only a blood moon, but a harvest moon and a supermoon as well, which was a rare occurrence. We are the collectors collecting what is due. Daniel repeated another line from the Spectre song, knowing he had heard those precise words before. With that thought, a buried memory emerged of Daniel's father, who upon his deathbed had told him, Beware the night of the super blood moon eclipse, for on such a night harvesters cross worlds and take souls. These harvesters are known as collectors, coming to collect what is due. Daniel's father went on to tell of a selfish ancestor who had signed a contract with the harvesters, exchanging a thousand years of blood souls for personal power and wealth, a ruthless act of greed that cursed his bloodline, and to remain so until reaching the time of fulfillment. For only then would the debt be paid in full. A thousand years of blood souls. Daniel shuddered inside. Being only ten at the time of his father's death, he hadn't taken the warning seriously. But now he feared the worst. The absolute worst. Keeping a close eye on a subject, Daniel drew in a sharp gasp when the specter unexpectedly shifted his position and appeared to stare directly at him. Daniel dared not move. Searching the dark void of the specter's featureless face, imagining a fearsome monster beneath the draped hood that concealed him. Not sure what to expect, Daniel fell into a maddening state of panic when the specter began to sing the third spine-chilling verse of his grim, foreboding song. No, I don't want to hear anymore. Daniel covered his ears, but there was no escaping the disquieting melody that drifted through the frigid air as if it had a life of its own. We are the collectors, collecting what is due. We are the collectors, our harvest must ensue. We travel in the darkness beneath the veil of night, coming for the cursed. We race against the light. Daniel knew it was time to flee what had become a perilous situation, but he hesitated when the specter abruptly snapped an unearthly horsewhip, dispelling a sinuous trail of fire that parted the mist surrounding the horse and carriage to reveal something Daniel had failed to notice until now. My father's grave. He slumped against the tree in despair. You're at the foot of my father's grave. Suddenly, everything made perfect sense. The specter was a harvester, and he was after Daniel's father's soul. With that knowledge, despair turned to desperation, and Daniel mustered the courage to step out of hiding and face the harvester, who maintained a perfectly postured position high upon his carriage. The air grew colder and colder as Daniel eased closer and closer to the carriage, silently counting each arduous footstep until coming to a stop on his 13th count. Now, near enough to get a detailed look at the specter's outer garments, the entity's face remained a featureless void hidden beneath the hood of a black cloak that draped his thin frame. 
Are you a harvester, a collector? Daniel bravely called out, his heart pounding like a jackhammer. Are you after my father's soul? A moment of unsettling silence lingered as Daniel awaited a reply, only to be answered with another verse of the harvester's sinister song. We are the collectors, collecting what is due. We are the collectors, our harvest must ensue. I hold a contract binding, an inescapable fay, a thousand years still ceasing, a debt you must repay. As the last words of the verse echoed, the specter reached into his cloak and pulled out a scroll that fell open in a flash of fire. The contract. The harvester's deep, cavernous voice was terrifying. The blood of blood to pay. He pointed a bony finger at Daniel. Daniel, glimpsing the harvester's skeletal face, stumbled backwards with paralyzing fright. The blood of blood to pay, the harvester repeated. Fearing his meaning, Daniel trembled. You were never after my father's soul, were you? He dared to ask. You lured me here as a clever trap, didn't you? It's my soul you want. He pressed his fingers against his chest. My soul. The harvest answered with the final refrain, just as the eclipse reached totality, turning the moon blood red. We are the collectors, collecting what is due. We are the collectors. We come to collect you. With the snap of his whip that wrapped Daniel's body in fire, Daniel fell dead. The following morning, Don and Kathy found Daniel's lifeless body in the cemetery, lying atop his father's grave. Gripped in his hand was a contract signed by fire and branded with three words, paid in full. This story is called The Doll, written by Jesse Refson, illustrated by Chris Sasaki. From the book titled Ghost, 13 Haunting Tales to Tell. The girl walked through the storefront door. Its antique bell gave a ring. Her mother frowned close behind, don't you touch a thing. The girl sighed and rolled her eyes. She'd heard that one before. Her mother always told her no when entering a store. Her mother's favorite thing to say was no or don't or stop. The words were ready on her lips at first sight of the shop. As usual, this trip was meant for mother's wants alone. She'd never think to buy her brat a present of her own. Though once inside, it mattered not for looking round that store. She'd found it only full of junk trash, and nothing more. But where the mother saw the bad, the daughter saw the good. Tucked amongst the rundown shelves sat a doll made of wood. The girl stopped, full of wonder, at the doll's hand-painted face. She didn't mind the lack of hair or dislike its tattered lace. She plucked the doll from off the shelf, its smile cheap and gaudy, Mother, may I have this doll over my dead body? The girl was scolded for what mother called a total lack of taste. A horrid doll, a horrid girl. To buy it? What a waste. The mother showed her own blonde hair and dress with pale plaid print. As two examples of true beauty of which the doll bore not a hint. The girl had no recourse. There was nothing she could say. 
Her mother's mind was set in stone, so they went on their way. Back at home, the girl's bedroom stood just off the hall, and there she found, wrapped in a box, the gaudy, hairless doll. She looked around and puzzled how the doll had come to be, in her room despite the fact her mother had not agreed. But soon the worry left her, and to a smile it gave way. The doll was now hers to have, her mother had no say. To her delight, she also found some trimmings that came with it, a blonde-haired wig to change its look, a pale plaid dress to fit it. She dressed the doll and placed its wig and prized it like no other. But oddly enough, in this dress and wig, it looked quite like her mother. The difference was this doll could not say stop or don't or no. In fact, the doll spoke not at all, and the girl did love it so. And perhaps it did look horrid, that doll in pale plaid prints, but the girl heard no more about it, for she hadn't seen her mother since. We're back in the book, Scary Stories for a Fright in the Night. This one is called Curse of Campsite 13. Kaylin couldn't wait to get to Fort DeSoto State Park for the weekend camping trip with her parents, Tom and Lana, and her older sister, Ashley. They had just crossed the Sunshine Sky Bridge in their packed Toyota Tacoma and were only minutes away from the campground when she spotted a furry gray raccoon near the tree line. But there was something unusual about this beady-eyed animal that caused her to jump back in unease when it unexpectedly sat up on its hind legs and returned her stare with a menacing grin. Sorry, Ash. Caitlin had accidentally struck her sister's shoulder with her elbow. What's wrong with you? Ashley snapped in irritation. Did you see that raccoon? Caitlin motioned. It was weird. You'll see a lot of those masked, striped-tailed bandits around the park, Tom laughed. I recall your mom and I saw quite a few when camping here years ago. This will be a good experience for you girls, Lana glanced back at Caitlin and Ashley. Your first camping trip. We're here, Caitlin called attention to the sign marking the camp entrance. Finally, I didn't think this ride was ever going to end. Ashley straightened from a slouch position as the truck rolled to a stop in front of the park office. I'll get us checked in. Tom got out, stretched his legs, and aimed for the office. Caitlin stood next to the truck and gazed on a small cove where numerous boats lined a rocky shoreline. Intrigued, she headed down towards the cove and sat on a bench shaded by several tall cabbage palms. She had only been sitting there for several seconds when a palm frond suddenly fell and narrowly missed hitting her. That was close. She looked up in the tree and saw another raccoon. This one staring down at her with a sinister-looking grin, as if responsible for the fallen frond. Curious, she thought. Just then, Lena called out from the truck, Time to go! Caitlin waved and called back, I'm coming! Before heading away, she glanced back up at the tree, but the raccoon had darted out of sight. There's definitely something strange about the animals here, she said and headed for the truck. Following a windy road that meandered through the woodsy campground, they soon arrived at their assigned campsite. Thirteen? Caitlin grimaced as she read the sign, marking their site. I don't like having campsite 13. Can't we get another site? 
Don't be silly. Tom pulled into a small clearing amid cabbage palms and palmettos. Since when are you so superstitious? Besides, it's the only spot they had left. He parked the truck and got out. This is a great location, right on the bay. I agree with Caitlin, Ashley said. There's a reason Campsite 13 was the only spot left. It's because of the legend. No one ever wants Campsite number 13, especially not on a full moon night. How did you hear about that legend? Lana asked as she got out to help Tom remove four bikes from the bike rack. At school? Ashley answered. My friend Tony told me about the curse of Campsite 13 when he found out we were coming here. There's a legend? A curse? What did he tell you? Caitlin wanted to know. Well, Ashley's lips stretched into a mischievous smirk. Long ago, on a full moon night, a family was camping right here at Campsite 13, in this very spot. Legend says that two brothers went to bed in their tent, but when morning came, it was discovered that one of the boys had vanished. Ashley dramatized the story. They say the surviving boy went mad, claiming that were-raccoons had ripped through the tent and taken his brother in the middle of the night. Were-raccoons? Caitlin recalled the sinister grin cast by the raccoon she had seen in the cabbage palm by the cove. Yep, Ashley nodded, and they always target campsite number 13. That's enough, Ashley, Lana called out from the back of the truck. You're scaring your sister with that foolishness. Your mom's right, Tom seconded. Now both of you, get out here and help us unload this truck. We need to pitch the tents before dark. Caitlin opened the door, but she hesitated to get out when she heard a noise and caught a glimpse of gray fur from an animal scrambling up a nearby tree. She tried not to think of were-raccoons or the legend, but that was hard to do when the Campsite 13 sign stood in open view as a constant reminder. An hour later, Caitlin sat at a picnic table with her dad, who was cooking hot dogs on a small grill. A mandarin sunset over the bay ushered in nightfall, and as darkness settled, she grew more and more unsettled at the thought of spending the night at Campsite 13. She didn't want to believe the legend of were-raccoons, but something just wasn't right about the raccoons in the park. They seemed downright menacing. Can you take this out to the large trash cans for me? Tom tied up a bag of trash and handed it to Caitlin. She reluctantly took a bag and inched towards the shadow-laden road, aiming for two trash cans that sat on the opposite side of the pavement. Reaching the trash can, she lifted the lid and jumped back with a start when a raccoon leaped from the can and landed mere inches from her. She slowly backed away, terrified that the animal might attack, but it just stopped and stared at her with glowing red eyes. You only have a stripe over one eye. Caitlin observed the unusual characteristics of this particular raccoon. You're a half-masked bandit. She then shuddered when the animal responded with a snarl-like grin that showed its unnaturally long, jagged teeth, never expecting what happened next. Lucky number 13, the raccoon spoke in a boy's voice. Struck with an all-consuming fear, Caitlin turned and bolted back to the picnic table where her dad was taking the hot dogs off the grill. Dad, she was short of breath. I just saw another raccoon and it spoke to me. It said, lucky number 13. I was afraid that story your sister told might give you nightmares tonight, but I didn't think it would trouble you this much. 
Tom motioned for her to sit down at the table. Trust me, there are no curses or were raccoons. Nothing terrible is going to happen tonight just because we're staying in Campsite 13. At that moment, Lana and Ashley joined them at the table. Both tents are set up. Lana reached for a package of paper plates. We should sleep comfortably. If we survive the night, Caitlin moaned, laying her head on the table. Lana looked at her. Is that story about the curse of Campsite 13 troubling you? It sure is, Tom answered. But I just reassured her that there was nothing to be afraid of. I don't know, Caitlin. It's a full moon tonight, so you better keep an eye open. Ashley spoke in a ghostly voice. Or the were-raccoons just might getcha. She jumped at her sister. Enough, Tom snapped. I don't want to hear any more about were-raccoons. Caitlin tried to ignore her sister, but she was certain of what she had seen and heard. That raccoon spoke, and she was terror-stricken by what it said. Lucky number 13. The image of the raccoon's red eyes and sharp, jagged teeth just kept reappearing in her mind. She couldn't help wondering if the animals would soon transform into something wicked, if the light of the full moon would soon turn it into a were-raccoon. After dinner, Caitlin climbed into a tent she was sharing with her sister and settled down for the night. Separated from Ashley by a divider, she laid in the darkness and listened to the sound of the night. Frogs, cicadas, crickets, and various birds, too scared to sleep. It's getting cold, she called to Ashley, unnerved by a sudden drop in temperature and the onset of howling wind that whipped the tent flaps with such force that she worried the tent might blow over. She then shot upright when she heard a clawing sound. Ashley, do you hear that clawing? Ashley untied the divider separating their rooms and poked her head through. Quiet down. You're going to wake mom and dad. What is that clawing? Caitlin was too afraid to unzip the tent door and look outside. It's probably raccoons, Ashley whispered. Do you want to know why raccoons only target site 13? Why it's cursed? Not really. Caitlin wished her sister would stop talking about the curse. Ashley continued anyway. A hundred years ago, in this very spot, a witch cursed a boy for stealing from her by turning him into a were-raccoon. Since then, on full moon nights, they say he appears with a group of other were-raccoons. Children, he has changed into were-raccoons over the years. Targeting kids that are the age he was when he was cursed. Your age. I don't want to hear any more, Caitlin covered her ears. He only claims kids that stay at Site 13, right here where he was cursed. And according to the legend, he can be recognized by his half mask. He only has a stripe over one eye. Caitlin gasped. Her eyes grew wide. I've seen that raccoon. It spoke to me in a boy's voice. It said, lucky number 13. Sure it did. Ashley rolled her eyes. I really saw him, Ashley. I really did. Well, if it's true, then you better beware because all it takes is one scratch from a were-raccoon's claw to turn you into one of them. So don't let him get too close. Ashley withdrew into her room. Sweet dreams, little sis. She shut and retied the divider. Caitlin, livid with her sister for intentionally scaring her, was now more afraid than ever. Lying awake, she kept thinking about the half-masked raccoon, fairly certain that he was the same were-raccoon from the legend, the boy who had been cursed by the witch a hundred years earlier. 
It has to be him. She spoke under her breath. How many talking, half-masked raccoons could there possibly be? Plagued by fear, she fought to stay awake, but soon exhaustion caught up with her and she drifted off to sleep. She wasn't sure how long she'd been sleeping when she suddenly jolted awake, shaken by the sound of an animal chattering nearby. I'm never going camping again. She reached for her cell phone and checked the time. Precisely 1 a.m. Go away, raccoons. She pulled her blanket under her chin, shuddering when the chattering sounds appeared to grow closer and closer. At that moment, a shadow appeared along the tent wall in front of her, the silhouette of a raccoon. Then a second shadow appeared, followed by a third shadow and a fourth until there was at least a dozen. We're raccoons, she uttered in a trembling whisper. With eyes wide with fright, she watched the silhouettes grow taller and taller as they shape-shifted into hunchbacked creatures, the height of a person. Shivering at the sight of what appeared to be the outlines of long fangs and claws, she feared that the monsters might rip through the tent fabric and snatch her away at any moment. She heard something that made her blood run bitter cold. Lucky number 13, a boy's voice whispered. Caitlin instantly recognized the voice of the half-masked bandit and knew what he was after, who he was after. Seized in a petrified state, her pulse sped faster and faster when the were-raccoons all appeared to spontaneously turn and look in her direction. They inched closer and closer and closer until a horrific scream rang out. Caitlin! Ashley untied the divider and peeked into her sister's room. Caitlin! She cried out in horror, but it was too late. Much too late. The police arrived and initiated a search for Caitlin, finding the tent shredded, suspecting an animal attack. But Ashley knew what had happened. Rambling on about were-raccoons and the curse of Campsite 13, desperately trying to make her parents and the authorities believe her. You don't understand. She's still here. She's been turned into one of them. Ashley told them. He only targets campsite 13. He changes kids that are the age he was when he was cursed. You must believe me. I saw the were-raccoons. I saw him, the cursed one, the half-masked bandit. He is real. The curse of the campsite 13 is real. It's all real. After that night, Caitlin was never found. But Campsite 13 is still there, and someday, on a full moon night, the half-masked bandit will strike again. It's the curse of Campsite 13. This story is called Eyes Closed, from the book Ghost, 13 Haunting Tales to Tell, written by Blaze Hemingway, illustrated by Chris Sazaki. Keep your eyes closed, said Gray softly to herself. The girl lay awake with the covers pulled up over her head, her nervous breaths making the air hot and stale. Grace was afraid. The creaking inside of her bedroom was getting increasingly louder, and she didn't dare make eye contact with the ghost that was responsible for it. Grace, like all children, knew that so long as you never looked at a ghost, it could do you no harm. Even beneath the sheets and heavy blankets, the girl kept her eyes shut firmly to ensure she didn't accidentally glimpse it. 
thud. Grace shuddered. Was that her bedroom door slamming closed? Or had the ghost knocked something off of her dresser to tempt her to look? Grace quieted her breathing and listened carefully. She could hear the dull whistle of a swirling wind encircling her bed. And she knew the ghost was closer. The noises started the night Grace moved from the room she shared with her younger sister into this new one. The move came at Grace's own insistence. After all, she was 10 years old, far too mature to be sharing a room with Molly, a mere first grader who thought only of first grader things. But now, with the terrifying noises inundating her room every night, Grace knew that she had made a terrible mistake. Never once had the ghost come to the bedroom she shared with Molly. Never once did Grace need to hide beneath her blankets. Never once had she lain awake with her eyes closed tightly in fear. Grace felt something breathing on her toes. A cold breath. She quickly drew her feet beneath the covers and pulled her knees into her chest. How a quilted comforter protected her from the ghost remained a mystery, but she nevertheless felt so much safer beneath it. Keep your eyes closed, Grace repeated. Grace couldn't tell her parents she wanted to go back, not after relentlessly bugging them about getting her own room. There were no indications that Molly was having any problems since Grace's departure. In fact, Molly seemed perfectly content to be rid of her older sister. How immature would Grace look if she was the one too scared to sleep alone and not her younger sibling? Grace could now hear the scrape of fingernails against the walls of her room. Deliberate and sustained, the nail slowly clawed from her doorway, past her dresser, and over her head as they made their way around the room. The noise paused. Grace felt her pulse quicken, her heart beat with such intensity that her nightgown bounced up and down against her chest. She knew the ghost was close to her now, probably hovering just above her bed. Grace pressed her eyelids together as hard as she could. She felt the tension in every muscle on her face. It was painful, but necessary to ensure her protection. Keep your eyes closed, Grace said once more, as if a mantra to keep her safe. The fear was consuming Grace. It had never been this bad before. She considered screaming. The ghost most certainly would vanish once her mother and father rushed into the room. Grace could tell them it was just a nightmare. They wouldn't have to know the truth. She could preserve her dignity. But then what? Grace's parents would return to bed, and soon after, the haunting would resume, perhaps even worse than before. No, that would not do. It was then that a thought began to form in Grace's head. A new thought. A bold thought. A liberating thought. Perhaps there was no ghost. The sounds Grace heard were strange, but then again, it wasn't unusual for a house to creak in the winter, especially an older house like this one. Perhaps Grace never heard the creaking before because it was impossible to hear anything over the obnoxious sound of Molly grinding her teeth in her sleep. 
The cold breath she'd felt on her toes was probably nothing more than a draft coming from her window. Perhaps it was just slightly ajar and needed to be closed. That would also explain the dull whistle she'd heard. As for the clawing, Grace guessed that it was a mouse trapped in the insulation behind the plaster. Mice were known to burrow inside walls to make their nest. A scurrying mouse was the only logical explanation for what she thought were fingernails dragging against the wall. Furthermore, Grace had never seen the ghost, not once. Granted, she never opened her eyes, but wasn't it possible that by not opening her eyes, her imagination had gotten the best of her? Grace felt foolish. This was all absurd. There was no ghost. She'd imagined the whole thing. Of course she had. How childish of her. She was a 10-year-old girl who, in just a few months, would be attending middle school. Grace was practically a teenager. She had no time to play these silly games. Besides, it was so miserable beneath these blankets, clammy and suffocating. Enough was enough. Grace tossed back the comforters, taking a deep breath and feeling the fresh air on her face. The tension melted away. Grace shook her head, wondering why she put herself through all of that stress for nothing. Grace rubbed her eyes and finally opened them. Slowly, the room came into focus, until at last she could clearly see a milky, shifting shape floating over her bed. The apparition smiled. You should have kept your eyes closed. Thank y'all so much for sharing this episode with us and your little creepsters. We hope that y'all are enjoying them. And next week we'll be in different books. So stay tuned. (laughs) And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.